Welcome to Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast, the show dedicated to the half-demon hero. Hosted by me, Kate Thompson. And me, Mark David Christensen. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> and for the second episode of The Crooked Man, we got a very special guest with us. Very excited to have him here. It is Alex Fernie. You probably know him from Convoy, the, the infamous uh, improv uh, trio, as well as he's a writer-director on work such as Children's Hospital in bajillion dollar properties, as well as um, there is a movie I've seen recently, which was a secret viewing. Uh, um, Alex, what was the name of it again? I honestly just started to blank on it. Uh, action number one. <laughs> action number one. That's his voice right there, which was. Uh, <laughs> I'll let him. Hello, Alex Fernie. Hello. <laughs> um, that movie, real quick, let's talk about it. I watched that special secret viewing of it that was like streaming, mm -hmm. um, I believe, uh, for Convoy, a night of your Convoy screenings or streamings. Mm -hmm. And what a wild ride that movie is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I Most people don't know what we're talking about, but it's a movie that's based on the... And never will. Yeah, never will. But it's very in tune with what we're talking about, comic books and everything, because it's based on the story when Nicolas Cage had his... Action Comics number one stolen. Stolen from his house, yeah, which is a real thing that happened to him in like the early 2000s. Uh, yeah, uh, which it was a wild, fun uh, movie to watch. I particularly like the detail where you guys, you had made the choice to have several actors play Nicolas Cage, which was. That's right. Yeah. I must say my favorite was Missy Pyle. Missy Pyle's an incredible Nicolas Cage. Yeah, <laughs> Cage himself, they'd spent years trying to get him to do it, and he kept like almost doing it, and then she was like, no, no, he gave his uh, sort of permission to make this movie about him, but he's like, I want to play myself. Uh, and then they were trying to figure out, like, well, how do we do this without him? And my pitch was like, well, you just you know, have as many people as possible play Nicolas Cage, and it's a bunch of very fun people. And Missy, Missy Pyle is like a really great and nightmarish Nicolas <laughs> Yes. I the, the 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 bald cap the wig is really something. It really was, and like her whole demeanor was just as you said, like terrifying. Because he was like in the club scene. It's like oh, this is like as if Nicolas Cage was gonna use a date rape drug on somebody. Yeah, very scary. <laughs> I feel like she got everyone. The the note to all the actors playing Nicolas Cage was like, don't worry about really doing an impression. Just try to like channel his what you interpret his vibe as. And I feel like she came closest to the way Nicolas Cage acts like she like that is like her mannerisms were like the closest to the way he when he's in a movie where they're just like do whatever you want like I was like yeah she she got that yeah it was great um well I'm sorry that no one will ever see that movie <laughs> wait hold on can you tell me why why I want to uh, see this this is a so lot bad. of the stuff you guys covered at the beginning of that screen okay Go for, no I think it's fine oh Go ahead. yeah so, so we made. I mean, I, I shot this movie in 2016 in Vancouver. Yeah. I hadn't seen it since 2017. We made it with this company called Awesomeness that does like to all the boys I love before and stuff. Cool. While we were in post, every executive we worked with at Awesomeness left Awesomeness. Um, and it just got like never released for whatever reason. I, my, my, my best guess besides the uh, executive churn um was that like right around them was when awesomeness was like oh we're gonna do all these like they do like shows very like 
Uh, yeah. 10, 15, 10, 15, I think they might yeah. be involved. Like, yeah. it, it's a very specific demographic that they're doing, and they do it very well. Like, yeah. 10, 15 is one of the best shows on TV, uh, and this is outside that. So I think we came right at the end of where they were like, what do we do? We don't know what we're doing. We work with influencers. And then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, we're going to do to all the boys I loved before. We're going to do Pen15. We're going to do a very specific demographic that this thing didn't fit into. And I think they did. So they just, so it's like you know, done the, the post. The it's like totally oh, yeah. edited. It's, it's totally done. That's devastating. Yeah, it was done in the, in the spring of 2017. Oh, man. And then just, uh, I, I didn't even get a copy of it until last year. Um, I like, I spent years being like, can I just, I, like, I would love to put a reel together. Yeah, <laughs> together. right. Uh, and I couldn't, like, literally there was no one at that company that I knew or knew who I was. Yeah, that is so heartbreaking. I'm really sorry that that's not yeah. coming out. That, even for, like, if we were, like, looking for it on eBay or something, like, couldn't find, like, a deal. Doesn't, doesn't exist. No, Damn. it was really, which is why eventually we just did it on Twitch and be like, fuck it. Like, what oh, are they cool. going to do? Be like, hey, how dare you stream this thing <laughs> that we don't know we have. This is supposed to be gathering dust in a vault yeah. somewhere, yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, well, it sounds really fun. <laughs> uh, definitely yeah. was. There's like a lot of highlights, especially Betsy is always Betsy Sidaro is always a highlight. Betsy Sidaro oh, is always so great. funny. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like this is not to like put salt in the wound, but I feel like Nicolas Cage just <laughs> like a year ago or coming up announced a movie where he is playing himself. He's doing there. There is a specific thing I saw that he's doing that's very different than this, and I don't think it's a comedy uh, but i remember reading that too I, I wish i could remember what it was because i remember seeing that too and being like hey <laughs> and then reading about it, i was like yeah this is pretty different if i was nicholas cage this would be more like i'm certain that this will be fun i mean maybe it's just a- too hurt like it just hurts his heart too much to talk about losing that superman like he loves <laughs> superman so much he loves superman maybe the, it just the didn't fun happen. thing is when he actually like what they think actually happened with the comic was like he just Mr. Cage has had some real financial missteps. Right. He keeps <laughs> buying haunted houses. Um, and he like threw a party at his house and like didn't notice it was gone for like weeks. And yeah. they think just like someone at his party just like walked out with it. Right. Just yeah. a total party favor from a Nick Cage yeah. oh, party. Cool. Oh, yeah. what a bummer. <laughs> so Damn, funny. I want to see this movie so bad. Uh, oh, well. Um, if you guys do another <laughs> screening, <laughs> secret screening, Whoa. You know? secret Twitch screening. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. Um, I do hope that some more people can see it. Um, well, there's tons of cool stuff that you've written and directed that people actually can see, which is nice. <laughs> like all of those, like children's hospital episodes are so great. And like bajillion dollar properties is so funny. Um, so yeah, yeah. Everybody go watch that. Yeah. <laughs> and on the plug train there, if you guys, if nobody out there has ever seen the series Terriers, there's only one season. It's great. But uh, uh, Fernie and his the trio, Convoy, the other two, uh, Berg and, um, oh my gosh, I just, <laughs> it's so sad that I, Dave. For, I forgot your other member right now. I'm not going to help Todd. you. <laughs> I totally forgot Todd's name, which is such a shitty thing to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're all three of them are in, um, in that great, I think it was a great season of television. It's a very good show. We're, we're a very small part of it. We show up every now and again, but that's a great show. Yeah. So those are things to check them out in. But let's talk about you and comic books, um, Alex. Um, how, when did you get into comic books? How long have you been a fan of comic books? What got you into them? Like I read, yeah, I read comics that, like when I was a kid. Like I remember like the progression of how I got into it of like when I was a little kid, I would read like, Casper and Wendy and 
little hot stuff. <laughs> uh, and then, like, and I don't remember where that, that one of my parents must have just, like, bought me that at some point at, like, the, the drugstore or something, uh, which makes it sound like it was the 1950s. Um, <laughs> but then I remember in third grade, uh, like, a kid, I don't remember who it was, but in third grade, uh, a kid had, like, Transformers comics, like those Marvel, and I really like Transformers, but, like, Transformers were like on the expensive end of toys. Yeah. So like I didn't really have a lot of Transformers, um, but you could get these comics. And specifically they would do those. It was like the Transformers equivalent of like the Marvel Universe handbook where it would just be like, here's Starscream. Here's what he's all about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I fucking loved any for years that sort of comic. And I still am like, would be like, yeah, I'll sit down and read a Marvel Universe handbook. Um, <laughs> They're fun. It's fun to like so look I, at the little like gauges of like intelligence, oh, power, so like all of that stuff. And as a side note, as a kid, as I got into comic books, I was like a big Marvel kid. Um, like I went from Transformers to Marvel and like I really loved Marvel. I never got like that into DC as a kid. Um, but I would also buy those in the 80s. There's this like RPG for Marvel comics, um, like a tabletop RPG. And you could, and like I did not have friends to play it with, but you could get it. And it would just be these big books of like, here's the rules to play a Silver Surfer or, you know, whatever. Uh, and you could just read all this information. And I was fucking loved that. So I would just like read through these rule books about being like, ooh, Firestar. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was like very fun for me. Uh, and for most of childhood, like I read lots of comics, like my favorites inexplicably i grew up in Keene, new hampshire uh was avengers west coast i loved the west coast <laughs> avengers uh like i didn't really care about the main avengers but i was like yes man like i loved like i guess I in the 80s Star- like it was radical it was like totally yeah, like it, I, think you know? it was. I think it was like a fictional world to me i was like what yeah. it's like on the a cliff on the ocean what is this <laughs> and like i was like and this this superhero is an actor like it like i don't I can't trace why I was so fascinated by it. And my favorite characters were Vision and Scarlet Witch. Like, I loved, like, when Vision was, like, taken apart and all white. Uh, and then all the, the demon kid stuff. Oh, yeah. So um, cool. And I loved that stuff. And then I kind of fell out probably in, like, middle school. I stopped reading comics. And I picked it up again late college. And then I've been, you know, read now that I have and an adult and I can choose to go and, and buy what comics I want. Right. Like I've been like every week I, I buy, I still buy floppy issues and, and flip through those. Oh, so those. cool. Are you digging the WandaVision show? I am like, yeah, it, yeah. It's, cool. it's like, it's really fun. And it's, all, the, I just, last night we watched the most recent episode. I don't know when this airs, so yeah. I'm sure it'll be outdated by then, but it was the Malcolm in the middle episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I can't get over how, good they nail the like the tone of each sitcom without going meta and being like doesn't this suck yeah. like the music in that episode in the Malcolm Middle episode just fucking sucks <laughs> it, but it sucks in exactly the same way right, all of, like those sort of like ding, 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 ding. <laughs> like and I, I I hate that in modern sitcoms and they like they've nailed it so well and I was like yes this is absolutely and then every then they'll be like also it's scary also here's something creepy and scary so yeah, yeah. very much enjoying yeah me too I'm I'm a fan of it it's I loved awesome. all the costumes in that that Halloween issue. Just yeah. all the it's so fun just to be like, okay, you get to see like what Quicksilver, like why they change costumes from Quicksilver's yeah. like nineties, like, <laughs> like it's like okay, but it's still so satisfying to see uh, like some real version of that. Yeah, 
uh, yeah, it's just so it's like they're like so affectionate about the material and including the different shows that they're drawing from. So it doesn't it's like you said, it never feels like they're like like winking too hard at you in a way. Yeah, it's just it, it is impressive how much it like it shouldn't work. It really shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> and I think they ended up getting lucky that uh, everything got fucked up and this was the first thing out of the gate. Because it was supposed to be, I think, like Winter Soldier and Falcon. Uh, yeah. And having it be the this weird show, I think, is I think saved them. Because otherwise people go like, are people over it? Like, oh, they're doing the same. And instead, you can't look at this and go like, yeah, this is identical to everything they've done. And I think that ended up being like great. Because it was like after a year of none of this stuff since whenever that Spider-Man movie came out. Right. Or a year and a half yeah. or whatever. To come back with being like. Look at Catherine Hahn just stealing the hell out of the show. <laughs> be like, this isn't what I expected the next stage of this to be. That's great. It's just fun. Like, it's a what a it's such a. I mean, because the the movies themselves are fun, but they do take themselves very seriously, especially by the end. So it's like yeah. pretty refreshing, I think, to have one that's like kind of joking and sort of, especially with like, I mean, spoiler alert for. Anybody who is not watching it, the like recasting of Pietro and stuff like that. Like, yep. it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just fun to like look at it and be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that's, yeah. And that's all it has to be. And it's also like I enjoy the movies for the most part. Yeah. Um, but like the, it, it I, I do like, yeah, like, hey, yeah, maybe fewer movies and more of these. Some I think these series almost make more sense for a lot of stuff and maybe allow them to vary it up a little bit more. Totally. And Hey, maybe even opens up room for other types of movies. Uh, maybe, maybe that's doesn't seem like that's going to be the case, but Hey, maybe yeah. like they can That'd start cool. doing like, because this does, they're, they're just funneling people into paying a monthly fee yeah. to Disney plus. Right. They can just turn that money crank for as long as they want. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a big it's money so cool. crank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> um, what are you, is there anything in like your, in, when you return to comic books and now, as, um, now are currently loving, what are like your tops or still love? Um, I think, pro- I mean, we're, we're talking about vision. So like, I think probably what has become my favorite comic book of all time is, is Tom King's vision series from a yes. few years ago that he wrote. Like, I really love that book. I think it's just like spectacularly good. Um, even if you don't care about superheroes and, or any of that sort of stuff. Uh, I've really been liking um, uh, Die, uh, what Kieran Gill- Gillen wrote, and I, I can't remember the artist's name, which is terrible. Um, but, like, that's... Uh, like, I really liked Wicked and Divine. Uh, and then Die is basically... Like, the premise of it is, like, very... Sorry, like he he as a writer is really into like D and RPGs and that sort of stuff. And so the premise is as kids, these people get yanked into like basically like a D and D world. Um, then they came back out a year later, and now they're adults and they have to go back, which is like a very sort of like eighties sort of movie concept. Um, but the way it's done is like kind of like really emotional and smart, and also like a weird like history of these games, cool. like like each sort of place they go is like oh this is the rpg world that the bronte sisters created and it's all the de- actual details from that real historical thing and they're like wandering through there and it's it's really That's great awesome. and the art is this very cool kind of dark watercolory looking thing and like i i look forward to that every time an issue comes out oh, stephanie hans i'm seeing is the mm-hmm. yeah yep. um 
That sounds awesome. That sounds like a good The Last Starfighter. Not to shit on The yeah. Last Starfighter, but. <laughs> I, I think he's cited that. It's like, it's also a like, it would not be incorrect to say it's like an emo Last Starfighter too. Like, yeah. like it is a very, like these were like mopey teens and now they're mopey adults Love and they it. all have to fucking deal with this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just the people who need to escape reality the most. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love a mopey genre. <laughs> Were you ever into how, like what was your relationship to Hellboy if you had and it's fine if it was like none or if you just saw the movies or whatever? No, I didn't get into Hellboy until I came back to comics. Like I, I probably like stopped reading them right about when Manuel was doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly what like I'm sure Hellboy had been around a little bit, but that was probably before me. And then when I came back start reading comics again i pretty quickly found it i think i don't i have no recollection of how or or why and like made my way through those like early trades and so i I, you know i've read i I haven't gone into all of the bprd stuff just because there was overwhelming amount yeah um but like all the hellboy proper and then some of those spinoffs and some of the bprd stuff but like it's i you know i I, his art probably was what yanked me in early on because i'm way more likely to read a book whose art I like. I'll read a book with writing I don't like. I do like Hellboy's Rain, but writing I don't like and art I do like, and I won't read a book with writing I like and art I don't like. I totally, I, yeah. So like that, I think his art was so distinct that it yanked me in, and then I just like kept reading it. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. agree. I mean, it's like primarily a visual medium. I think that makes total sense to be like, that's what draws you in. That's what gets you. Is yeah, like a good cover or something. Yeah, and there are great writers I, I love, but it's just like it's too hard to look at page after page of disagreeable art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's true. Yeah, I agree. And I wanted to ask you, like, because when I reached out to you long before today about coming onto the show. <laughs> pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. It's a- Damn. <laughs> no, probably, maybe we'll be in the same place. Oh, well, how great it'll be. <laughs> yeah, I would love to have you in the, in the same room. Yeah. We'll touch the same comic. <laughs> it'll be great. Yeah. Um, but you you were like, I would, you put this at the top of your list of like, hey, I would yeah. love to talk about this. What about, just like in a general sense, because we'll get into the, the final issue, of course, but like, what drew you and why did you want to, to tackle the crooked man? Like, why was that the one you want to talk about? I think there's something about this whole mini series. I think it's one of like the honestly, like legitimately scary little runs for several reasons. I'm sure we'll talk about, but um, like it's not real mythology heavy. Uh, and I, I like the mythology stuff and I like like Hellboy and Hell, like wrapping it all up. But, like, in, in these three issues, whenever, like, the bigger Hellboy mythology comes up, it's shoehorned in. And it's, like, it shouldn't even be, like, this, I like Hellboy as a character. This works if Hellboy does not exist. Like, the, totally. these three issues, like, are creepy and weird. And I think one of the thing, one of the reasons, that, that, that two of the things that stuck with me is one is, like, from the first time I read it, the design of the Crooked Man stuck with me. It's like exactly the right level of discomforting. And then I think two, I really, I I hate when things get over explained. Like I don't like, I I, I love the X-Files growing up. And now, you know, the mythology X-Files stuff 
I couldn't fucking care less about that black oil or the bees. Uh, but the stuff I remember is like these, those weirdo, not even always good, like one-off episodes where it's like, they're looking for the Jersey Devil. Right. And the whole episode is like, the fuck is the Jersey Devil? And then it kind of ends with them going, don't know, there might be a Jersey Devil. And you're like, what? But that would scare me as a kid being like, oh, the fuck is the Jersey Devil? You have to tell me what the Jersey Devil is. And they'd be like, no. Uh, and like that, uh, like, I think this does that really well, where there's just an acceptance of everything that happens from Hellboy and Tom, all those characters that's deeply unsettling, where it's like, yeah, there's a world we don't really know. And, and you know, it kind of fucking sucks. And we're not going to think too hard about it because we can't understand it. And it feels like that's also deeply unsettling. I think that stuck with me. That's awesome. That. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the idea of like even trying to understand it like puts you in danger. <laughs> like you're yeah. calling to it if you're thinking about it too much or exploring it too much. It's like, yeah, it, it makes it this kind of like just kind of ever present thing that it this dreadful thing, which I, you know, it's what a great metaphor for shit that's bad in the world. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I also uh, like I, said, I, grew, I grew up in New Hampshire and it wasn't like you know, rural, rural, but, you know, I'm in L.A. now, and it's very different. And, and for most of my childhood, I, it, like, we lived on, a, like, a, a farm, and we were, like, butting up against a river, and there was woods. So it was it was fairly rural. Um, and even though this story takes place in, like, Appalachia, which is very different, but it's still kind of, like, mountainous. The way this is drawn looks like if you drive around in, in, in New Hampshire, just the types of trees and the mountains and the rocks. Totally. Like, it, it, it is a recognizable creepy to me yeah. in a way that not, you know, like, again, like I like Hellboy. I don't have any sort of like motion connection to the way Manuela draws hell uh, right. or the bottom of the sea. Or like a church um, or something like a, you know, like I've never been to a Scottish dilapidated church, but I, yeah, yeah, I have like, I grew up in Pennsylvania. So it's like, same thing, you know, you could yeah. drive for 30 minutes and be somewhere that looks just like this. Yeah. You know? And you walk into the woods in those places and inevitably you will find like a wall yeah, just surrounded by trees and <laughs> there's truly no way to find out who built that wall, why it was there. Like you just, you will never know. And like, that was like a fascinating thing as a kid when you just find stuff in the woods right. like that. And like, that's what this is when they, when they get to the church in this, you're like, or, or even the mansion, the crooked man's mansion. And they're like, why is this here? Yeah. And then again, they go, no, no, we're not going to fucking tell you. There's no big answer. There's just this fucking crazy mansion in here where like this mess of parts is doing magic. You are right to be scared of it. Yeah. Hell yeah. Before we get to that mess, that mess of things that's doing magic, let's talk about these covers. Sure. The Crooked Man covers, which are also by Richard Corbin. And I believe they're colored by Dave Stewart as always. But uh, real quick, something that's fun that I just want to read a snippet from his like little comments about doing the covers. It's in the back of the library edition, probably also in the collected edition. Nice. Um, I won't read it all. I'll just read the end part. But he pretty much talks about how he now with covers due to a bad experience, he does more detail on them. Uh, but I'm just going to read what he has to say about actually drawing Hellboy. He says, my main problem with the Hellboy drawings is getting Hellboy right. I think only Mike can do the Hellboy the best, but I'm keep trying. I also have problems with the appearance of other characters because the cover must be done first before any of the pages are done and before I get to know them. So it's just kind of a little bit of an insight of his like that kind of, uh, 
main comic books covers sometimes just seem like they have nothing to do with what I just read. Yeah. <laughs> and so I could understand the frustration of like having to draw a character before you've locked it in. Yeah. Which sort of maybe speaks to exactly the be- the cover of the first issues that the Crooked Man is completely in silhouette. He's in darkness. Yeah. yeah. Which works anyway. It's like, oh, he's obscured, but he's still ominous with his like glowing eyes and stuff like that. Like, I guess that's kind of, you know, f- nice trick on Corbin's part to make it like, I don't know what this character is yet, but I'll just make him half silhouetted anyway. And it'll, it works. Totally works. Uh, t- the covers are kind of interesting to, they're, they're kind of like a little bit like prettied up version of Corbin's art. You know, like in the, in, the interior of the pages is, you know, he comes, he, he came out of the, that like underground comics world and you can really see it. And like most Hellboy stuff, I like, I'm like, yeah, well, I would prefer it if Mignola drew it. And I think this series actually is really benefited by the like, this sounds like an insult, but like the purposeful ugliness, the way oh, yeah. Corbin draws mm-hmm. everything. But the covers are a little more like normal. I guess like they, they, they aren't quite as like, Hey, I dare you to look at this character's face uh, as some of the inside stuff is. Yeah, I would agree. Like these, these all appear like a Corbin that you wouldn't, you'd be happy to put on a wall and display or yeah. his other stuff. You'd be like, yeah, I don't think we need that up all yeah. the time. Yeah. I don't need to look at that. <laughs> I totally get that too. I mean, m- like maybe you get like a little hint of it by the third one because you get the like like you get to see the crooked man in full view so you get a little bit of the like exaggeration of like but yeah like those like like if you used to get like a mad magazine or something and they would have like enormous pores or like crazy fucking gums and teeth shooting out with like splinters all through them and shit that's what it's making that's what (laughs) i think like the like you were saying his like um that like underground comics feel of it. Of yeah. It. Uh, and it's so different than normal Mignola or, you know, yeah. with the, the color planes and the darkness. It's like just it's unnecessary, lo- not unnecessary, but like seemingly unnecessary level of detail that then just like really kind of the threat almost comes from a different place. Yeah. Like in the normal art, the threat is what am I not seeing? What's in this darkness? You know, um, and here it's kind of like you don't, your eye doesn't necessarily know where to settle on almost any panel um, because of the level of like weird detail. And I think that even again, like for something that takes place mainly in like this kind of crowded claustrophobic woods, like that helps sell the the horror of it. Totally. Yeah. It's like this overwhelming sensory kind of overload uh, yeah. and it, it feels gross. Like, you know, like it's very, it's like, makes it all so tangible and like, yeah, yeah. It's, ugh. it's creepy as shit. Yeah. I love these little bats with no eyes and just big gaping mouths. I think they're so fun yeah. on a second issue. Yeah. Almost like Tim Burton-y a little bit to me, like, uh, like his sandworms and shit. Like that's what this frog is sort of <laughs> making me think of. Um, and just a great hell. Like, I think he does Hellboy. You know, he, he's a little hard on himself. I think like any artist might be, if you're like working with like such an iconic at this point character, but I think he draws Hellboy really well. I think he looks cool. I do too. He gives him such mass 
Like, yeah. like yeah. Mignola is very much like an everyman, like his body. It's like, oh yeah, you're, you're half man, half demon, but you come off like, oh, I wouldn't be, you don't, your body shape doesn't like stand out. It's like, you're just a yeah. working man. Whereas like Corman gives him gr- a large mass. <laughs> like, yeah. You're like, you're thick. <laughs> uh, I love the, also on the second issue that the Ellie Cobb, I think that Ellie Cobb in the background is really cool. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's sort of like lit from below, like creepy smile. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. for. And just bit. any ghostly, any like clouded over eyeball. That's going to get me every time. <laughs> <laughs> It hurts my eye, you know, it hurt to think about. Ugh, it's rough. Uh, but really cool. Yeah. The third one is probably my favorite of all of them just because one, of course, the Crooked Man is present. But I just think Dave Stewart's color choices are just perfect. Like uh, everything, like just the color that he choices he used for Crooked Man to give him that coldness to that bright red classic Hellboy. But then that all on top of this yellow. And then the zombies, yeah. of course, are getting that green. It's just he he blows my mind every time I anytime I revisit anything. It feels like very rotten, you know. It feels uh, like yeah, you can like smell this picture, <laughs> you know. <laughs> rotten. Oh, actually, my book is rotten. It's been <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it smells like old wet pages or something like that. Like it's you know, like or. Um, another, I mean, of course we're looking at this like dead tree, but you can imagine like these sort of like layer of wet leaves, like that kind of smell. Like it's very, I think it's great. Like he's great at evoking that kind like the other senses too. I mean, Dave Stewart's like contributing so much to that. I think he's like complimenting that feeling well. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. We have a controversial opinion on this show. So I want to hear from you, Fernie. When it comes to the reprinting of covers, me and me and Kate, maybe more so me than Kate, but I think we kind of agree. A lot of times we're disappointed that the covers aren't reprinted with logos and like they just strip it down to like the art. Oh, yeah. And we're a lot of times, especially like design wise, we're disappointed that they're not included because we feel like it falls. It's been con- such it's been considered and part of the entire cover that we're always a little disappointed. We're, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I almost wonder if like, uh, cause I, I wonder how, yeah, so many of them, it does feel weird not to have anything in the upper left. Like it always is this weird, empty, negative space. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, I think I've never really thought about that. But yeah. <laughs> it is kind of weird when you see it without the text, without the, part of it that is planned on there. I wonder if there is also a difference between something like this, like Hellboy, where there's was probably more planning on that way and versus something like a Marvel book where it's probably they get the art and then I would imagine nine times out of ten, the artist just was like editorial does everything else you know like and i wonder if like on something like that it would be like yeah let's see the whole thing before someone started slapping text on it versus something that is a little more like creator driven where it's being like this is what this is going to look like and i everything's planned out i feel like there would probably be some sort of distinction there um where like in those marvel versions i'd be like yeah show me the whole art and here being like no he they built this around that. So, you know, yeah. let's, let's keep the words on there. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Great thought on that. 
Uh, <laughs> cool. Well, let's get um, into it. You want to want to recap where we left off, and then we'll jump sure. into issue issue three. Yeah. Well, um, issue three uh, published in September two thousand eight. Written, of course, by Mike Mignola, and illustrated by Richard Corbin. Color cover, bleh, colored by Dave Stewart. Lettered by Clem Robbins. Edited by Scott Alley. Boo. Boo. <laughs> yeah. Scott Alley's not great. Um, <laughs> so yeah, we sort of like left off with like. Um, Hellboy and Tommy have made it to this sort of dilapidated church where they're 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 looking for Reverend Watts and they're look Tommy's looking to bury his father on ho- hollowed ground and it's like the least he could do for leaving and you know having him his dad like live a life as a horse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So yeah, so they've they've made it there, which is great, but they're also surrounded by like dozens of witches at this point. Um, and the crooked man has emerged to sort of like start calling to Tommy to try to lure him out, uh, because he like owes him for the witch powers that he's given him or that he imbued into this like lucky cat bone. So that's where we left off. But the third issue starts with sort of a like an aside, this like fun one page, like how to make a witch ball thing, <laughs> yeah. um, which is very like uh, it's a it's a great combo of like silly and sinister, you know, <laughs> like they have this fucking uh, crazy, like leering witch talking to her familiars and just telling you. How to make a witch ball like she gets right into the <laughs> it's another thing that like really feels underground comics yes uh like it, it feels like something out of zap uh in a way that like doesn't is uh, is surprising in a hellboy book like right. like she's literally talking to the audience yeah. uh and that feels more like something even like granny oh whatever she calls herself uh like this feels like it's more home somewhere crumb would be drawing than in like a okay he's a devil man and he fights rasputin book (laughs) yeah Yeah, absolutely it's just like yeah like a little bit of like flavor for the story overall like we saw a witch ball for like a second in the first issue and they're like this would i i guess like the thinking is probably just like this will be a fun way to just kind of like give them a little bit more but it's like I, I love too that it kind of skips right past explain just explaining what it is to being like here's how you kids could make one at home yeah. like that's <laughs> it very does fun. not that's again like this like this whole series like it it it, it does not explain absolutely anything like in issue one it's like oh yeah she got hit by a witch ball and you're like all right yeah. and then like anyway and then two issues later they're like here we'll explain how to make a witch ball I was like okay. <laughs> But what, what, what are you talking I'm about? I'm using this for just, what? <laughs> yeah, it's such a, like, it, it is a, again, like, Appalachia, like, in this world, it is sort of like, it, it, parts of this are, I, I would bet purposefully, like, Blair Witch reminiscent of being like, yeah, we don't tell you what the totems mean. We don't tell you, you know it's not good. Right. Why do you need any more detail than that? You can still that? feel in your bones that it's bad. like yeah. Or, like, even the idea of, like, a little kid reading and being like, Oh no, they like gave me the power to do this now. Like I yeah. could all I have to do is go to the crossroads with my friends and dance, <laughs> or, you know. Like it feels like an achievable real thing that would like scare the shit out of you if you were like a little kid reading this. Yeah. Um and being like I shouldn't have read it feels like a bad thing to read, you know. 
as a side note, when I was rereading this, I was rereading it on my iPad uh, and I was rereading it last night. And every night, I have, I have a two year old, uh, and every night before bedtime, I watch one episode of Sesame Street. Um, and she was sitting next to me, like cuddled up next to me, and she's watching Sesame Street, but then she's looking at what I was doing too. And I was like, eh, this is okay. And she became fixated. She's just like, can I turn the page? And I was like, sure. Aww. And she turned the page, uh, and I'd let her turn the page, but she would, with so many things, be like, what's that? And be like, hmm. <laughs> That's just that's just an old lady. Uh, like there's so many times being like, "That's a horse." Yeah, that's a horse. Yeah, that's, that seems right. Yeah, we'll tell you what that is. Uh, and then when she saw the crooked man, she's like, "It's a little bit scary." And I was like, "You are right, she man. Is he is a little bit scary." Right. <laughs> what a mature reaction to yeah. see that. Got to tell you, he's a little bit scary. 100%. Just to warn you, Dad. Uh, might not want to be keep reading that, Dad. It's a little <laughs> so creepy, so weird. Okay, so now we all know how to make a witch ball too, which is nice. There you go. If we ever want to bewitch someone, yeah. And then it picks up where it left off. We have like the, um, uh, what's his uh his like uh the crooked man? Oh, Jeremiah Whitkins. Whitkins. But the crooked man, he's like outside talking to Tommy outside the church. Kind of like with this great like um, kind of like hand gesture of like, we're just talking like we're having, you know, I'm calmly talking to you to come on out like fair is fair. Give me your soul. Like, that's all I, we want to do here. Uh, so the uh, the Reverend Tommy and Hellboy are just hanging out in the church, kind of like listening, waiting, not really sure what to do. The Reverend just like tries to like kind of cast him away, uh, the crooked man away, like. This is hollowed ground. You can't come here. But of course, the crooked man's gonna just keep kind of goading Tommy and so sort of like, you know, like the devil is a liar kind of stuff, like sort of like smooth talk his way into being like, come on out. Like, you have to come out. You use these powers. You owe me. And to the point where like Tom is almost convinced and like seems compelled almost to walk out. And then just a bunch of great spooky like close-ups of the crooked man's face with like a little drool coming off and like yeah. these like gnarly gnashing teeth and stuff like that <laughs> the first two panels with him in this the first ones on the first page is when you're describing it, and he doesn't look un that unnatural right in, in the first one especially compared to like when you look at the other characters in this it, it, it in this art like Tom also looks like a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, They're all like caricature-y like a little bit. Yeah, it's which you're like, okay, like he could just be an old man. And then in that second page, when you see him, he's laughing and his jaw looks like it's disjointing right. and it's his like... teeth are coming out. And it's like a great like kind of misdirect. And it's not even a close-up. It's not even like a challenging like, ah, look what we're doing. It's just sort of like he's just kind of laughing there. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is not just some weird old man. Yeah. <laughs> like, ugh. Yeah, very unnerving. And also, like, in the same, like, the same, like, little circle of witches, like, we have a bunch of, like, verging on grotesque witches, but then we also have um, Effie Cobb, who's still there, uh, this sort of, like, seductress kind of, like, fully calling to Tommy with, you would imagine, like, like, softly, but still with, like, an eerie sort of, like, come on out and play kind of Tommy sort of thing. So like on the spectrum of creepiness, there's, you get, you kind of get it all. Um, yeah. Ugh, just rough. 
Hellboy at at a certain point is just like, that's it. Like he's like, you think, okay, he's going to do his Hellboy thing where he goes out and starts like punching everything. Mm -hmm. The moment he walks out of the church, he's bombarded with like, I guess, uh, I guess like um, from the fence, like pieces from the fence. Uh, and is knocked back on his ass into the church, and then all the witches start laughing at him. Like, yeah, they all just laugh. And like, I think one of the best things about this whole run is like, honestly, Hellboy fucking blows in this. Right. Like, he yeah. does like, like even when he finally gets his big heroic moment, like the reverend's like, let him have this. He needs it. like. There's no indication that Hellboy has to do it. They're just being like. It's the shovel. It's not Hellboy that's doing it. Let him do this. This will make him feel good. Like Hellboy, just is kind of like puttering along helping yeah. but really it's 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 the reverend that kind of makes everything work that like like and i i love watching a different form of hellboy being in over his head yeah. uh is, is very satisfying it's so cool yeah i feel like mignola definitely just like he was like you know what this is my character i'll use him to tell this other story that i really want to tell but uh yeah. you know put him on the cover to sell it it's very much like <laughs> people will buy it if i put hellboy in it <laughs> Like, yeah, it sells Hellboy on it. You got to buy it. Um, yeah, it's so it's I mean, he's still fun. Like he still gets to be like, ah, son of a he gets to like say his curmudgeonly thing. And then immediately the crooked man is just right back to Tom. Like, come on, like, come on out. Reverend comes out. Um, he's like, yeah, you don't scare me. And then so the crooked man sort of like turns his attention towards the reverend is trying to like tempt the reverend says how. You know, this dilapidated church, I could give you the gold to fix it. He fills the, through the floor, fills up the, the like, doesn't fill the room, but, like, this huge mound of gold appears. Um, the reverend's not swayed. He is just, like, he knows that the crooked man is, you know, he, he's been around. He knows the crooked man is just lying. But then this part I thought was so great and creepy. The crooked man's like, oh, maybe you're too old to appreciate this gold. What if I gave you back... 10 years or 20 years and he like transforms the reverend into a younger version of himself where he can like see his like vision is totally back um again the reverend's not swayed but i was reading this and i was like if i could have like a knee that doesn't click i would think about it like that seems pretty cool I hope that the devil never visits you. Yeah. He would get me so easy. That would, it would be it would be done. He was like, "Oh, your knee sounds like a fucking like grocery bag. Do you want to like just have one that works?" And I'd be like, "Yeah, for what? My soul? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for my soul. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Already gone. Um. So yeah, that seemed like very tempting. You know, like uh." But of course, the reverend still standing by. He's like, "No, sir. I I come fairly by my years and all my afflictions. I don't want nothing else." So it's like, "Yeah, you're not gonna get me." And then they uh like all the little witches start kind of like through the fence, start reading the gravestones, and it's getting like it's like really picking up. It's getting like real morbid now. They're reading the the names on these people who were buried in the church. I like this little part where like one of the witches abby riley you poisoned two husbands how'd you get planted in a churchyard like that's really fun um so yeah and so then the crooked man starts like literally taking these dead people out of their graves and like launching their caskets into like through the through the windows of the church um the first of which which has abby riley 
comes crashing in. She looks like young and beautiful when she emerges from the casket because Tom, uh, the crooked man is like continuing to try to tempt this priest however he can. Uh, which is like, you know, I heard you like pretty girls and like Abby, Ab- Abby comes out like kiss me, but then immediately goes back to like fucking Crypt Keeper. Wow. <laughs> you know, really gross. A great like, I mean, that's just where like Corbin gets to like really have fun is like, because like if you look at any of his like heavy metal stuff, it's like, oh, yeah, you just like let this man draw a skull already. <laughs> and so he finally gets to draw a skull, you know. With, like, this mummified, like, tight skin. Um, so fun. What a great, uh, great dead body for him to be able to draw. I also like the little, like, cross hat. Like, there's so many little things. Like, it's such, it's dense, man. Like, you could just look at each of these panels for so long. Yeah. Like you were saying, Alex, like, or there's just such dimension to everything. Everything has, like, its own texture. Uh, and you could just be, like, even his, like, Trees, we kind of talked about this in, when we were talking about the first two issues, but, like, everything has weight and dimension. Like, he doesn't just draw, like, one single line for a twig. He'll draw, like, this fat little twig, and it feels like if you stepped on it, it would crack, you know? Like, there's it, so much It really is. I, I do think it really is, like, in a lot of ways, the opposite of normal Mignola Hellboy art, which is, like, you know, so moody and flat, and, like, this... I think these pages you're on now, like, have, like, what I think is, like, maybe my favorite part in this whole little series, which is the Reverend prays to have his vision taken away again, um, which is, like, really sad. And then on the next page, when it happens, he's just got one speech bubble of just thank you, Lord. But it's just kind of, he's almost, like, just drawn in in a bust. There's smoke all around him. And it's the inverse of so many Hellboy panels where it's just... You know, like sort of like a face or just, you know, chest up and then inky blackness. And here it's this gray, gritty, dry whiteness all around him. Uh, And it's something you could never get in a normal Mignola or like a lot of the other, you know, fill-in artists who are kind of doing something one step removed from what Mignola does. Like it's just something that is like very unique. Uh, uh, to, to the way these issues are drawn. Totally. I'm loving it. Yeah, I'm just taking it in here. <laughs> They're continuing to just bombard the church with uh, caskets and things. The dead are kind of starting to rise and fight them a little bit. Hellboy gets to smash something with the right hand of doom. That's fun. Uh, Tom's swinging at these animated, like reanimated cadavers that are coming towards him. As we have like the crooked man talking over the entire time. Uh... You know, what's one more or less to me is like talking about giving back the years to the reverend, all that good stuff. Hellboy gets to, you know, punch punch a femur off of a body and stuff <laughs> like that. And then like we get this really gruesome close up. We're starting to get pretty gross <laughs> with like seeing the crooked man kind of waiting. I'm starting to lose my patience. What about you? And So he's like turning his attention. He can't, you know, Tom hasn't come out. The reverend can't be moved. He's like so steadfast. Uh, so he finally turns his uh, crooked man turns his attention to Hellboy. Um, what about you? Whatever old Tom may or may not be, we know what you are, which is like this kind of thing that happens throughout the Hellboy run, his, like the entire series, where it's like every other creature, every other like thing from folklore recognizes that Hellboy is like significant and 
bad, like something bad probably will happen. They know his fate is to like bring about the end of the world and Hellboy resists that at every possible turn and all that good stuff. So yeah, Tom starts to like sort of kind of like, like prey on that a little bit for Hellboy where it's like, you're fucking, you're evil. You're evil. Like, what are you doing? You know, he's trying any kind of avenue to get in there. Yeah, I really um, like the the language he uses to describe what he is. He's all but a special mm-hmm. one. One meant for special great earth-shaking things, you yeah. know? And I love a classic Hellboy of just telling the evil, like, speaker to just shut up. Yeah, yeah. Always in the face of a long, evil monologue, Hellboy will just be like, shut up. You talk a lot or whatever, you know? Which is, like, the fun of Hellboy, like, that fucking foil to... <laughs> A long, elaborate speech of explaining what evil thing you're about to do. But you know it, you know it haunts Hellboy. That's like the thing that his biggest fear is to like fall into that and just let himself become this like tool of evil. So it, I'm sure it does get to him. But, but, but I think uh, like, yeah. uh, like Alex had mentioned earlier, like it, they, it's barely in here. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he lists, it's like one page and it literally is just like him pretty much and almost like the story saying, oh, we don't have time for that. <laughs> yeah. And I, think and I love that, like, oh, sorry. Or, uh, just to say, like that, you know, in the big Hellboy mythology, you know, like, oh, he's the key to the end of the you, this Lovecraftian nightmare. OK, OK, okay all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. And I think one of the things that makes this creepy is that the crooked man knows that and doesn't really care. This doesn't become a, Ooh, a bigger prize. Right. It's just being like, I'm just trying to get that guy's soul. Yeah. I'll fuck with you and I'll throw a bunch of stakes at you and laugh at you and make you feel small. That, that Whatever. But like it is, is the Hellboy stories and issues, which are often one-offs that like tend to stick with me. Most are the furthest away from giant tentacles coming from the sky. Yeah. Like, and I like that stuff. It's interesting. And even the way it all wrapped up is with all that, like hell on earth stuff. I was like, Oh, this is fun. I don't think about it that much. Uh, I do think about, you know, bridles that turn old men into horses. Yeah. Like, and that's just this little, little side thing or like the lit, like I forget what, what run it is, but the little, like the cold iron and the, in Ireland and all that. So that yeah. stuff sticks with me. Um, and this is just wall to wall that like the crooked man actively go, brings it up and then goes, doesn't fuck it. I don't care right. that you are the instrument of destruction. I want this one soul, which also ties into his characterization of he's a miser. He's not going to let anything go. That's what he cares about. Like, I, I think that rules. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It totally just informs his character more and this story more rather than derailing it. Yeah, completely, which is, yeah, like you said, so cool. It gives it like it lets you know that it's like. This crooked man character is aware of that stuff, like is aware of this, like greater evil and and everything uh, and kind of like ties him to that. But it's yeah, it's still he's a local horror guy. He's a local bad guy being set in. I'm going to assume a decent amount of this because of just how Manuela writes to like is there's like real Appalachian folklore running through it. Um, but even just setting it in Appalachia, which is a, you know, is a, a specific area of the world that is fairly insular. Yeah. And it's certainly in the 1950s where, you know, this is an area of the world that was like the country that got electricity late, uh, like how insular it is like that just helps underline that too. Like if this was taking place in, you know, 
Connecticut down the, down the street from the BPRD or, you know, like any sort of place that is more connected to the outside world. It wouldn't work as well. Totally. But yeah, this is a local <laughs> witch devil situation <laughs> and it's going to stay a local witch devil situation. Yeah. It's yeah. So like isolated and creepy. It's great. Yeah. It's so cool. Uh, yeah. And so Crooked Man's like continuing to kind of be like, you know, try to convince him, like, uh, uh, now he's just telling Hellboy, like, oh, you know, go break Tom's neck for me. Fetch me that bone. It'll be so great. And as they're fighting, the Reverend sort of is, like, realizes that, realizes, like, uh, like how you were saying, Alex, like, oh, okay, the, the crooked man is just a miser. He just want you gave this to him. You didn't use it for really anything. So it's, like, stealing to him, you know. You, you have this bit of his power that he tried to give you. And you're not like fulfilling your end of the bargain. So give me that thing. I'm all fired up. I'm going to crack it. And he like, grabs the bone and he like, you know, with some sort of like holy <laughs> magic, basically, he's like squeezing this bone. Him and Tom can feel it. He asks for the shovel, which is like also cool because he's like completely back to like his eyesight is completely gone again at this point. But he like senses that there's a shovel here. He's like, grab me that shovel. He, like, imbues it with this holy power and then does pass it off to Hellboy. Like, you take it. You know what to do. Tom even brings up, shouldn't that be me? Like, this is kind of my whole thing. And the Reverend tells him, the worst of your troubles are behind you, son. That fellow's got a hard road ahead of him. Uh, no end of trouble. So let him get a, his licks in while he can. So for, like, Hellboy fans, you who, like, really want to see Hellboy smash, you get to have that <laughs> at the end where he, like... Huh takes a big swing with this like you know like this uh yeah this like now holy weapon basically of the shovel it has like a nice crang on crooked man it's not a classic smash like he doesn't like even a classic smash would be him getting like sort of beat up and then coming back you know with a little bit of his curmudgeon energy of like all yeah. right i've had enough <laughs> like <laughs> this is straight up <laughs> Even though the, the like I think uh, Fernie said earlier, it was like, it is all the shovel. And it and the shovel even, like, surprises Hellboy to the point that after the, the big flash from the clang of hitting the crooked man and the witches poofing and everything, he's just on the ground with smoke coming off of him, completely like, well, damn. <laughs> like, he didn't yeah. know what was going to happen. Right. <laughs> He didn't expect them to like evaporate, yeah. shoot up into the air. Yeah, he seemed to just think he was just going to hit a guy with a shovel. <laughs> right. It's like I'll hit him with this first, then I'll get my own punches in. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like it's a good comedic moment, and all and for him. And then the witches, of course, the witches. I, I guess it was just him poofing the. Uh, I had the, the impression that like some of the witches like evaporate, like the maybe the ones in the vicinity of the shovel, and the rest of them just kind of disperse into the woods. Yeah. Which is also just spooky as hell. Yeah. You know, they're still there. They're still, like, looming. Yeah, Hellboy's like, that was something. The sun comes back up, and they've buried uh, Tommy's father, which is great. Kind of like Tommy apologized to the reverend. He's like, that's okay. You did your best. And they're like, we'll have to, like, bury or do something for Cora Fisher. I guess you can't bury her because she, like, exploded into bugs. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> But her, like, spirit is there, and you get this sense of, like, okay, there's, like, some closure for Cora Fisher. Her, you know, her soul is saved and all that good stuff. But they're, like, you know, there's some remnant of the crooked man that they have to go resolve real quick. They go 
up into this area. The hurricane. Super Which I think area. is interesting, too, that like for two issues, they've been talking about the hurricane yeah. and they don't explain it. <laughs> oh. Like, and I remember reading and be like, I think I skipped. I think I missed something. I don't know what they're talking about. And then it isn't until the end of the third issue. They go, oh, this is what we on this side of the mountain. They call it the hurricane. It goes back to Native America. Like yeah. they finally explain it. And again, it's like just such a interest. Like the, it, it doesn't let you know, again, in this insular world of both like magic and Appalachia, it doesn't explain anything. Like, and even in issue two, when there's the witches in the mines, like I didn't, you know, you, you don't know that it's referencing a real thing right. and like possibly problematic thing. Oh yeah, oh, we yeah. got into that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that. Uh, until like, like it doesn't fill you in on that. You just right. have to know it or you don't know it. Um, and it's like, th- there's so much of that in this run that I think is like fascinating and has to be purposeful because you would never just not tell an audience anything unless you're like, I'm not going to tell an audience anything. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it, of course, like, like you're saying, it's like feels so intentional and like, yeah, it's almost like you, like you, like, we're driving to somewhere else on a road trip and you like fucking got a flat tire in this scary area. Like it feels like you're, you're like, I'm just thrown into this area now. I don't know. Like, even if you're not from this area or anything like that, it still resonates because it's like, like they, cause they kind of hit like universal themes still. Like even, even here where he's like explaining the, the hurricane, you know, it's like, the white residents of this town avoided it. The native residents of this town avoided it. It was kind of like cross-culturally, it was regarded as this terrifying place. And he, the, he even says like, uh, you know, critters up here older than the flood. So there's like flood stories in every culture. Yeah. So it's like that resonates with like everyone. These sort of just like primordial like evil shit is happening here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the the mystery also, maybe this is part of his purpose is this story really is different from all the other like one-offs in the sense that most traditionally Hellboy is sent on a mission. So yeah. he's like told by the Bureau, hey, this is happening, go investigate or go deal with it. So you sort of get a lot of the information from them just, or it's given to us, we assume, that you probably got briefed on it. Here you go. Here's some information. Yeah. This it's it, I like that he he's in the dark as much as we are because he just wandered through. <laughs> like yeah. He just came in. Yeah, he, he was just doing something down south and now he's here. <laughs> yeah. uh, and almost everything would have played out exactly the same if he hadn't been here. Like he's just he is a, 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 a pretty close to passive observer um, to everything that's going on here, which is like just so cool. And again, like, yeah, it builds into that mystery of like. No one welcomes him in, so we're not really welcomed in. And it seems more of like, well, you might, if you're here, you can help. Yeah. And that's that's the end of it. Very cool. And he's the perfect passive observer, too, because he's just like, oh, this is like, this is a normal Wednesday for me. I do see these yeah. kind of things. So I'm not going to react in a way that's like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, I'm just going to go with everything and allow it I, to I, happen. I think one of the most interesting things about Hellboy as a character that shouldn't work and 
really does is his complete lack of curiosity <laughs> like by the time you really meet hellboy by like the, you, these are flashbacks but like by the time that you're really into like heavy into the hellboy like he's seen so much weird stuff that he never asks right it's just sort of like the world is what the world he is he doesn't even and, read and the case file do. he doesn't yep. want to it's like <laughs> it's just like why you can't explain almost anything that I see. Um, so I'm not going to fucking worry about it. And like, it's, it, that should be like a real narrative dead end. I think why um, it does work though, is because he is afraid of digging into that stuff because of what it would mean that he could find out about himself. Like, yeah. which is just like, that just sheds light on. He's like, feels very human because he's like afraid to confront these things, which I think a lot of people are. And it's an acceptance of, that like a lot of things don't have explanation. Like there's no answer to why this chicken bone does anything it does. Yeah. That will I I actually want to read because it's not interesting. You know what I mean? Like there is a thing like beyond comic books. Like there's such a desire and and, and uh, I think there's a desire through from a lot of fandoms where they think they want stuff explained. Right. And then there's a a lot of like certain like executive note level stuff of like, oh, well, we have to explain right. stuff. And, People like, are going like, to ask. Or, yeah, yeah. And it's it, especially in horror, it doesn't necessarily work. It's like people feel like it needs to be clean. One of the like an example of it, I think, is it like, you know, uh, I like almost everybody like like the movie Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Die Hard's a great movie. And it fucking ruined the generation of people who think that's how a screenplay has to work. Where like the watch has to come back. Fucking doesn't have to come back. <laughs> what life do you live where every passing thing that happens yeah. to you matters? Almost none of it matters. And like that's like like that kind of thinking of like, oh, Die Hard's the perfect script because everything matters is something that comes up, I think, in a lot of genre stuff of, like, everything has to matter. Like, yeah, you're Harry Potter, like, you have to deal with all this sort of stuff. If you, like, And it's so much more interesting, I think, to see lives play out where nothing we do, with the exception of stuff that you can't even guess, will end up mattering. You know, like, in 50 years, we, we aren't going to remember almost any... We'll remember some stuff, but not everything. Yeah. And like, I think that is what this kind of does really well is just goes like yeah it's gonna be a big old shrug what is the crooked man at the end don't fucking know (laughs) and i never will (laughs) and it doesn't make him any less scary if anything it's like you're saying specifically in horror like learn it you know i if something shrouded in shadow i'm fucking scared of it and i you know my own brain concocts the worst thing and all of that stuff you know I don't need to. I never needed to know the like the word metachlorian to appreciate the first three Star yeah. Wars. You know, shit like that. Yeah. If anything, I'm like, the what the fuck are we talking about? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Star Wars are like, what we really want is to explain everything. And be like, <laughs> these original movies were just kind of like riffs on old serials that didn't yeah. make any sense. Get the fuck out of here! <laughs> just you know. <laughs> It's like, did I, did we ever, they never talked about like Flash Gordon's cellular structure and shit. It's like, I don't care what planet Yoda's from. Uh, You know, he's a Muppet. Yeah. Love it. Great. More Muppets. More Muppets, please. Yeah, totally. (laughs) It's great. And this big scary house is waiting up there, which we can all, it's like a classic haunted house. This is like a, you know. If you had like a decoration when you were a kid that you could like hang up in your window, it would look like this with like one cobweb in it or something more. Um, They walk in. It's like this big ornate house. Of course, like it's like a big, scary, spooky, rich guy house. Except when we come upon what remains of Jeremiah Wickens, whatever this like 
fucking unholy, like the thing kind of creature that remains of of the crooked man is there waiting for them with his like literally like these crustaceany claws wrapped around jars full of gold. <laughs> you know, the last thing his he's saying basically is like, it's mine. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, um horrible miser to the end. Hellboy of course, in his way, he's like, that's kind of pathetic. I almost feel sorry for him. Tom gives us, I don't. Throws the bone in a floosh. He turns everything around them, and including the crooked man's kind of like weird, the distorted creature that he is now, turns into ash and dust, and he just like evaporates, including the gold. They And I like this little kind of like conversation about the gold where it's like, I don't think that was gold. Those were like souls. And Tom still feels fucking guilt. You know, Tom's guilt is like such a thing of this whole comic. But even in this moment where it's like it should finally be over and should feel like a little bit of like redemption and relief. He still is like, well, what happened to the souls? Did they evaporate? Did I just condemn those people to hell now? Or, you know, Hellboy just goes, I don't know. (laughs) And then they stop discussing. It It just moves on. I don't know, man. (laughs) it just makes me think of too it's like it's like if you ever have like met if you ever like been in a position to like meet an older person who's quiet you just like assume that the things that they've seen is like (laughs) you know at at a certain point like just an old man who's like seen so much shit that like he doesn't want to say anything anymore like like i get i can like see tom in like 15 years like kind of minding his own business doing whatever he's doing but like (laughs) Just never wanting to talk about any of this shit again. <laughs> and then this last page is also so spooky. They they hear some like little scratching in the in the woods. They find Effie Cobb, who's finally like, you know, her years caught up to her because that like witch magic isn't on her anymore. So she's no longer this like, you know, writhing uh <laughs> fucking like titties out kind of temptress <laughs> that she was. So uh, she's like in her like actual real form and she's kind of to her last trying to like be like, no, don't I'm please. I'm good. See, I'm smiling. But fucking Tom takes the bridle that she had put on his father, puts it on her. She turns into a horse. And then where can I get some paint? Beware, I am a witch painted on the side of this horse as the last image. So spooky and creepy. And then feels like something that's like, it's like, oh, the things that you see may not be what they are kind of a thing. So it also makes it feel like things that you as a person walking around in the world might see something, but it's actually like this nefarious, creepy thing. So just a fun last little bit of like. Uh, folklore kind of shit at the end. Yeah, it's such a great last page. Totally. It, the whole pacing of the whole three issues is so bonkers because you would expect kind of there'd be some element of like, oh, there's three three issues, three acts or something like that. And it just it goes, no, absolutely not. <laughs> right. Like, you know, Cora turns into bugs halfway through. You don't meet the 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 pastor, the reverend until like late issue two. Yeah. Uh, and then they get to like this big mansion and you're like, yeah, this is okay. Here's the final thing. It's a page and a half. Yeah. Uh, and it's just done. And then you deal with uh, Effie and then off we go. Yeah. And again, like that is, that reminds me of um, in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, one of the most unsettling things about it is because it be- 
came before all those slasher films, it doesn't follow the rhythms. And because, you know, we, we, we all grew up with those movies existing, we kind of know how they play out nine times out of ten. And you watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre and no one dies until everybody dies. Yeah. And it's just sort of like, da, 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 da. and that they never do that. They always like dole it out yeah. a little bit. Uh, and that makes watching that movie like, Re- it knocks you on your back foot because uh, it's just not what you're built to expect. And these issues do that too, where yeah. like the rhythm you expect from sort of like a serialized narrative isn't there. So you don't know, you don't know, oh, I'm at the last page. Big splash panel is going to happen. You know, that that just is not part of this book. So you honestly don't know where it's going or what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's like jarring at the end. It's just really this like machine gun of like, all this crazy shit. It's so cool. It's it's just, it's also like encouraging in a way. Like, I think for a lot of people, like when they start writing, especially like if, if you're trying to write for like television or something or like make some kind of like, you know, just like sample or some shit. I think people get so caught up in formatting it, which like you should like the format should be good. But like, I think if it's like compelling and has something interesting, like, and like hyper specific, like this issue does, I think that, I don't know, just for, for uh, like for people who are like stuck on not being or like writer's block or like getting too hard on themselves so they don't even write anything. I think like stuff like this is important to look at because it's like doesn't necessarily like you're saying follow kind of a um, yeah a formula, but it's still so cool and resonates still, with people. And, and yeah, and like and, you know. Mignola does that with so much Hellboy stuff because there's the big story that went on over decades. Uh, but then there are so many one-offs or little three-issue runs and stuff, and they tell different types of stories as a result. Yeah. Uh, and it's, like, really cool to get to see those things play out because they feel different as, you know, a one-off, like one of the Christmas specials, which is, oh, now here's a Krampus, I'm going to be up and <laughs> right. move on, is going to feel different, um, but it allows him to kind of, like, play with that pacing in a way where there is no again like i like reading superhero books but like a, a, a spider-man book is gonna be a spider-man book yeah. uh and it's gonna follow certain rhythms and and it's it's, it's gonna do that almost always uh, and he doesn't have to because there's all these different rhythms i, I kind of miss that a little bit i think even old superhero books got to mess with that a little bit more yeah. where like you know back in 80s 70s you could do like this issue is just there was a bank robbery and we're stopping that guy and then this is like a big multi-year thing of who is the hobgoblin (laughs) and then this you know and now the the five to six issue thing really kind of flattens that out oh Um, yeah it's it's like set in stone even in like um i just started the 2018 spider-man game for like ps4 and i'm Mm -hmm. like i know what's gonna happen to this like i it's just funny to like I'm going to keep buying Spider-Man over and over again. And I just like, no, it's like going to be the same thing over and over again. Yep. Which in a way is like comforting sometimes. When you brought up X-Files, I thought that was great. We, especially in the beginning of this podcast, we would bring up the X-Files a lot because the early Hellboy stories kind of felt like that, where it was like a freak of the week kind of a thing. Like Mm -hmm. you would have like this little, you know, just like literally like an issue or maybe like two or three issues for him to like fight one monster and it didn't feel like you didn't have this like weight of this overarching story happening yet. And it was kind of like little hints of it were there. So it's like, oh, that feels it feels important, but I still just get to have fun right now watching this fight happen. Um, yeah. 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 It seems to like I think 
I, I like the way Mignola kind of ended it. I, I think one of the most interesting, again, this kind of ties into the pacing thing. When he kills off he- Hellboy and before they come back for like Hellboy in Hell, mm-hmm. like again, like that's that was such a weird pacing choice. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't, he's never seemed that interested in like wrapping it all up. And I, I appreciate yeah. that. And that was something that like X-Files I think very much wanted to do and just couldn't. It, it became right. impossible, partially because of like how uh, uh, network TV dramas were created at that time. Like yeah. literally no one expected them to wrap it up in a satisfying way until it got to 10 seasons in and they're like, well, fuck, the company doesn't want to do it. <laughs> right. uh, you know, like, everyone's visibly older now. Like, And like when they when those when the X remember when like X-Files came back a couple years oh, ago? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like. Most of them were not good. Right. Um, but the one I still think about all the time is the weird one that is barely any dialogue where it's just the robots and automated things like <laughs> yeah. come to get them. Like they're at like an automated sushi shop. And like there's almost no dialogue. It's just Mulder and Scully dealing with like an AI delivery bot trying to kill them. So fun. And it rules. Yeah. It's so fucking That's good. That's I want to see. Oh, they found an ice worm. And for this episode, the ice worm's going to try to kill. It's yeah. like dumb shit or like yeah it, it's i i miss some of that yeah specifically to what one of my favorite monitors actually ties a little bit into this because it's appalachia but like did you watch justified uh no no but i'll i'll totally check it out justified rules don't expect any sort of like supernatural stuff uh-huh. um it's it's I'm, I'm a big big booster of elmore leonard books i i, I love his books but like it's based on that. It, oh, cool. It's the Oliphant, and it's a um, uh, just a U.S. Marshal uh, goes back home to Appalachia. Uh, and when it starts, it's mainly like crime of the weeks that he's kind of busting. Cool. Um, and then it broadens out and comes into this bigger story. But each season kind of has a big bad guy. The second season is incredible, and it's Margot Martindale and is the bad guy. And uh, but like it really does a good job of telling big story plus individual episode stories. Um, and it's something like I try to like go like, oh, how would Justify do this thing? Because it isn't one of those like, it's a 10 hour movie. It's like, no, each episode is satisfying. Yeah. And characters come in and leave. And then each season is satisfying with the beginning, middle and end. And then the show itself has a very good ending with a big like, and it, it, it's really impressive how they juggle those three different pacings uh over the course of the whole show i have to watch it because i think that is such an achievement for a show and it's like it could be like oh well fuck like i don't have time to watch an 18 episode first season to like catch up with and talk about my like it's like it's like no you can just start on like season two episode five and we could talk about it right now uh, yeah you get you like get the 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 gist of it pretty fast and like obviously by the end when they knew it was the last season then it's like yeah you're cashing in chips but um but like it is a very like i, I really love that show uh, it's also walton goggins is incredible in it oh cool uh, yeah i'll definitely like he, watch it yeah he was supposed to he's in the first episode and was supposed to be killed and they're like he's so good we're not going to kill him uh and then he kind of <laughs> disappears for like half a season because he was off shooting that predators movie oh, um man. and then he comes back and then he's like basically a second lead oh, we're talking about justified great show margo martindale season two Two yeah, villain, see? one of the best of all time. Damn, I'm missing great out. TV I gotta go watch it. Uh, that's great. Sorry, I, I it was a missing keys sort of situation I had to deal with. Um, 
I was the last. That's okay. Is everything yeah, yeah, all yeah, right? <laughs> okay, good. Um, great. Did we talk about at all um, any of our favorite um, thoughts? Are we, we're getting to final thoughts. Favorite oh, panels. panels or moments or dialogue that you wanted to point out? Favorite panel. It's, I mean, I, I do like when you get to see the crooked man's gross, the thing kind of uh, version. Because, uh, I mean, that and like the skulls and stuff like that. Because like I was saying, I think just like. Corbin gets to have fun with that shit. Yeah. You know, it's like if he had a sketchbook, that's what he would, that would be the first thing that he would just like, you know, he would warm up with like a skull, <laughs> I feel like. Um, so it feels like something he has fun doing. I don't know though. What do you think for favorite? I panel? just have a favorite little moment of dialogue that I is, yeah. is when after the priest gets all his little gifts, but he still says no. I just love the, the crooked man's all. He's an, a tough old nut. I'll give him that. <laughs> I don't know why I really <laughs> like that. Like, again, it's like language of like, mm, the old, none of my old tricks worked. Well, guess we'll just fucking now go to the corpses. Bring up the corpses. Yeah. I love that. I just think it's a fun little moment. It's like a cool, it's just a nice juxtaposition to have like this kind of like little small town, like Southern language. That's like almost like quaint in the face of like a demon basically saying it i think is yeah it's cool i think i think probably my favorite panel is the panel where the reverend is like thanking god that he's blind again so he doesn't have to look at this stuff because that's just like a like a like a it's such a little moment played small but it's like crazy crushing like it's it's such a uh, just like intense moment and like that and then like the final panel is 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 kind of a great punchline uh to the whole (laughs) thing totally very much um, I ha- I know that Kate hasn't read it, but I have. Did you read the follow up story that they? Yeah, from last year, the Return of Effie Cole. Yeah, I can't remember all of it. Um, yeah. but like I did, I I, I did. It it felt like more loosely yes. connected than what I kind of I expected. Well, any um, suggestions or anything that you would like to suggest based on this reading, like for listeners, anything to read, watch, or enjoy that you was inspired by maybe this story, or if like, hey, if you like this, you would suggest anything. Have you guys have you guys talked about a headlopper on this podcast? Yeah, oh, I love headloppers. Awesome. Yeah, I don't know That's if we talked thing. about it on the podcast, but yeah, it's great. I love headloppers so much, and it it scratches a Hellboy itch. Where it's like the same sort of thing where it's funny without ever undercutting like the stakes of what's going on and the style, the art is cartoon like it, it, it's adventure timey mm-hmm. almost, yeah, yeah. except it's like a kind of like fantasy violent like I just I it, I love that book so much. Yeah, it's so fun. Yeah, very violent. Yeah, he's lopping off heads. Just I <laughs> like up heads. just like a witch head. <laughs> yeah, a, a sass talking witch head tied to his belt. <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, I think um, Harrow County comes to mind. We might have talked about that for a minute, but it's a similar kind of like the woods are right there and witches are in there <laughs> yeah. um, kind of a thing. So, um, yeah, that, that would probably be mine. Based that on was going to be my suggestion yeah. as well. Yeah. But then I had two others that were just based on the way that the that made me think of them. And it'll be pretty obvious why is like when the coffins are actually coming out. And like how they're exploding from the ground in this made me immediately think of yeah. one poltergeist classic scene in the pool of the corpses and like uh, the the coffins in there. 
But then oh, more yeah. so the exploding of them is it made me think of how much I love Army of Darkness. And after he messes up with the with <laughs> saying the, um, the the phrase in the graveyard, when shit hits the fan, literally like coffins are exploding like rockets. <laughs> and I just think it's yeah. a great, a great movie and it, it, this silly version of this genre. <laughs> so that's what I would suggest. If that's you haven't awesome. visited those in a while, definitely revisit them. I'll have to do like a Texas Chainsaw Poltergeist double feature kind of thing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Oh, this is like not super related, but I reread this old comic from. Hold on. Uh, it's like super cartoony. It's called Hopster's Tracks, <laughs> and it's by it's by this artist who was doing like she was like drawing com- like the Simpsons comics in the '90s. She was just like doing a ton of that, and they I guess like Bongo Comics was like do your own run and it was like going to be this three issue run but they never even published a third issue but it's just like a super fun i guess it made me think of it's like sort of set in like a rural gas station where like the one guy works uh, and by guy i mean like a humanoid rabbit <laughs> but it's just like the art is really fun and cartoony and great and like it's the whole thing's in black and white too so it's like it just feels like very much just made by this one woman. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. And I like rediscovered it recently. And I don't know. You ha- you'd have to buy it on eBay. That was the only thing. Like it's not on Hoopla. <laughs> like they never even, they never even finished the run of it. So, but if anybody like, I don't know if you can like download it somehow, do it. <laughs> yeah. That's I it. I love that. Um, and listeners out there, we want to hear your thoughts on the crooked man um, and everything we've discussed on th- these past two podcast episodes or anything in the future or anything in the past you want to chime in on, please let us know by emailing us at ah crap, a Hellboy podcast at gmail.com. And if you've seen Dave's key, please email him. He needs to find it. Uh, please let him know Beth if you find his Beth is still locked in the bathroom. Key. It's a real problem. They can't leave. This. It was a problem, but then the keys were found, and they were found exactly where I put them. And the tray that's designated for the keys, it was. they were just oh, covered no. by the leash. So I, I went into panic mode, and in the end, on the record... I feel like it's I did. I right did there. my job. <laughs> if Jessica, if my fiance can't find the remote, I'm like, did you check your butt? Because most of the time we're sitting on it. <laughs> Just check your butt. It's right where you left it or check your butt. That's uh, all. But please, any other domestic <laughs> tips on domestic uh, situations like that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, great. Um, if they want more from you, Alex, where can they find you? What should they check out? Uh, I've been doing shows during this pandemic since uh, we can't all be in the same place um, with Berg and that other guy who's Dave. Dave, Dave <laughs> I'm name. sorry, Todd Vassin. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, every Thursday at nine on Twitch and twitch.tv slash Convoy Improv. There's something that I, I, when I do podcasts, I tend to uh, uh, promote from several years ago just because no one saw it and I thought it was great. Um, but I, I, I worked on a show called Do You Want to See a Dead Body for then YouTube Red, now YouTube Plus or whatever the fuck it's called, uh, that Rob Hubel created. And the show, I think, was like really funny and really good and just no one ever saw it, partially because it was on YouTube's pay thing and partially because... Two weeks after 
or a week before it came out, somewhere around there, was when Logan Paul showed a dead body on his thing. So YouTube got real squeamish oh, about man. promoting a show called Do You Want to See a Dead yeah. Body? Yeah. Uh, and it really, really fucked us. Uh, but, like, the show's great. Uh, and you can find it on YouTube. It's got a bunch of, like, really fun guest stars, and it's silly and weird. And so I always try to drive more people to it several years after the fact. Oh, right. yeah. Awesome. Everybody, check that out. <laughs> and definitely check out Convoy. Um, they're, they're super funny. They're the improv that I grew up, and I say grow up with, meaning like from my improv days of getting into it. For a full <laughs> year, I was seeing their show every Thursday night. So, oh, yeah. Great, great stuff. Um, and also, um, for you listeners, you can follow us on Instagram at Aw Crap a Hellboy Podcast, Twitter, Aw Crap Hellboy. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform if that if they allow you. But if you do go out of your way onto Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review that starts with the word boom, B-O-O-M, boom, we will read your review right here on the show and praise you. We call that a boom review. <laughs> so please give us some boom reviews so we can praise you and bring more listeners to the show. But that's it for this episode. Thank you, um, Alex Verney, for taking the time out to share your thoughts yeah. on the with us. Uh, you, I know you as an improv coach, um, as well as a friend in the improv community. Any conversation with you that has like an, a nerdy insight, there is a level of intelligence that I'm always like, I'm like, damn, damn it. <laughs> like, I wish I had <laughs> well, thank that, you. that uh, articulation in that brain. Like, uh, particularly back to the beginning of this episode, as soon as you said... Um, that you loved reading the DC like or just the the indexes of characters. I was like, yeah, watch him improvise. That shit paid off for him. <laughs> <laughs> so good stuff. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. Oh, thank yeah, you for having me. It's fun. All right. Anything other? Anything else? Yeah. Kate? No. Just remember that we love you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. That's it. <laughs> I don't know if we should wait for Dave because I don't know where he just yeah, went. Yeah, he's gone. He held up a finger and then just disappeared. <laughs> I don't know if Beth has like an emergency. Hey, dude. Oh, there he is. Hey. What up? So, Are you okay? Yeah, I just have to help Beth with something real quick. So I'll be back. Just I'm going to keep it going. Sorry if you guys. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. My name is Will Himes, and I am a ghostwriter, meaning I write other people's books for them. And I have a podcast called I Will Write Your Book, which are recordings of my meetings with my eccentric clients, such as a woman blocked after one sentence of a children's book about her dogs, a romance novelist who dislikes sex, and a man proud of having sampled everything in his local grocery store. This podcast has been described as fully improvised, played by some of the best comedians on the planet Earth. Hey, that's pretty good. That's I Will Write Your Book on Campfire Media. Campfire.